Hi guys, and welcome back to another edition of Radcast. This month, we have another international offering for you, as we're going to be chatting to Elad Valak in New York, who is the co-founder and CEO of ADOC, which is an AI company that provides decision support solutions for radiologists to help them prioritise cases and report studies more efficiently. So thanks a lot for joining us today, Elad. Um, no worries. ADOC do seem like one of the early frontrunners when it comes to bringing real AI solutions to the market. So we're looking forward to hearing more about some of these offerings. But before we get stuck into that, we did want to hear a bit about your background, um, particularly your involvement with Talpiop, which is the elite Israeli Defence Force Technology Programme, which all sounds very cutting edge and high tech. Mm -hmm. So can you tell us how that came about? Yeah, um... So as you know, in Israel, everybody serves at the Minister of Defense. Okay. And there was one massive learning that Israel had about 40 years ago, and it was we should always have the technological edge. Mm -hmm. And therefore, they created this program called Talpiot, whose purpose is basically uh, create that tech edge. So the program is basically you take 30 to 40 high school students, uh, where we're all 18 year olds at a time, and we go through rigorous testing. It's, part, it's basically a training program together with a service program in which we serve for a decade. We get three and a half years of training where we see all facets of the military. We, we get, they drill us with science and math and physics and computers, mm -hmm. and then they uh, send us to leadership roles within the Ministry of Defense, um, I specifically headed the AI at the Israeli Air Force. Uh, it's been a really, really impactful service. And that's actually what made me move and found ADOC um, was because of that, that service. So, I mean, 10 years is quite a big commitment. Is yeah. it optional? Or... It, it's completely optional. Uh, okay. it, so it's a very well sought after program because it's mm. considered quite elite. So then you have, you know, you have your pick with jobs, et cetera, et cetera. So a lot of uh, a lot of people want to do it, and they give you a lot of time for training, right? It's three and a half years for training. What they want in return is is for a more meaningful service time. Okay. How did you find that experience? Uh, frankly, it's made me the man I am today. Mm -hmm. They give you a lot of responsibility at a very young age. Uh, I was 21 years old when I got my first command and starting to build the AI. Uh, section at the Israeli Air Force and thinking about giving, frankly, you know, let's say young young adults, uh, a lot of responsibility for operational capacities and developing new innovations. Uh, it brings out a good part of you that, you know, wants to innovate, wants to lead, wants to find gaps and plug those uh, with technology innovation. And this is kind of what drives the thinking yeah. the team a lot of time it's about finding those challenges and then how can we bring technology to really help solve those needs i suppose you don't know what you're capable of doing until you're given the responsibility a lot of the time so i imagine being in that environment will make you do things that you didn't maybe think you were able to do or you didn't exactly. capable of and are you able to tell us any of the, the projects you're involved in or is that all top secret <laughs> uh, unfortunately i can't share too much okay. um I, I can share a lot of them were around uh, AI and machine learning and okay. you know, how to get the most of data. Yeah. So how did you then make the transition into healthcare? So when, when I finished the service, I knew I wanted to do healthcare because when you're in, in top order or the military in general, they drill you with the fact that 
you need to make a positive impact on the world. Mm -hmm. And, you know, obviously defense is a big part, but uh, me and my co-founder, we were really passionate about the healthcare space. Um, and we didn't know anything about healthcare when we started this. So the first thing we did is actually have a few radiologists, a few docs that we yeah. got on the team early on. And we basically ran around hospitals, uh, mm. which was amazing that they gave us this access. <laughs> we ran around hospitals for months, uh, bugging people with a lot of uh, annoying questions until we kind of <laughs> got around to the first idea, which is ADOC. A lot of the members in your team are from Taupiot. So was this something like you got together um, at some point in your training, you decided this is what we were going to do? Or did you know you were going to work together, but you weren't sure what sort of avenue you were going to go down? Yeah, so first of all, both of my co-founders are Taupiot graduates, Yeah. Uh, as well as the very fortunate to have been attracting uh, a lot of talent from that program. Uh, over the years, uh, we have between 10 and 20 of them. And if, with my co-founders, we, we all left the service at about the same time. That's a good thing uh, that you have a, a lot of good people, uh, which are good friends, leave at the same time. And we just knew we ha had to do something together. So have you taken the, the, the military style management that you learned in Talpiot into the healthcare setting? Yeah, a hundred percent. I think Two elements, I think, uh, were critical. So the first was the fact that it's not about the technology per se. It's about making a difference when it's in production. And it sounds obvious because at the end of the day, we all want to develop products. But what I learned in the service is that you can develop the best algorithm in the world. But if you don't operationalize it, build a workflow around it, build it around specific needs, you can't really make an impact. And I think that's really something that drives the company. Okay. Um, so moving on to ADOC now, um, can you give the listeners a bit of an idea of what you guys do? Yeah, for sure. Um, so I think, I think you mentioned this. Uh, we are considered right now the leading provider for AI solutions for radiologists. Okay. And basically our solutions um, or solution suite is an AI-based safety net aimed at helping prioritize urgent patients and expedite care. So how does it work? Basically, it's an always on, always running AI layer, constantly analyzing cases in the background. So every CT exam, every X-ray MRI is also being sent to us. And we then search automatically for critical abnormalities, things like bleeds or pulmonary embolism or fractures. And if we detect a critical abnormality, we then flag that patient in order to make the radiologist uh, diagnose the patient right away and therefore expedite treatment. Okay. Um, and maybe to give one example, just to give some color, uh, one of our recent CMARC products is about incidental pulmonary embolism. Uh, so that's a perfect use case for AI because mm -hmm. what happens is today workflow, right? You're a patient, let's say you go for an oncology follow-up and you're going to an outpatient facility and you're doing your exam and today's workflow, because that's a non-urgent exam, mm -hmm. you could be waiting sometimes for days, right? If you go Friday, 5 p.m., yeah. Yeah. right? <laughs> and what we do, you don't need to click or activate anything. We run in the background, search for those critical findings. Let's say we find pulmonary embolism, okay? Mm -hmm. we then flag that case. And we had just last week, uh, again, true story from a customer uh, in Europe 
mm-hmm. that told us that they had this case. Well, he sent us a text, a very heartwarming text message. Basically, said they had a patient that nobody would have looked at for days, and we found a massive PE. Wow! So instead of the patient living in the facility, going home with you know a ticking time bomb, you get a patient, uh, you take him by the hand to the ED and treat it right away. So, so you say you have a, a number of different, you, you call it like a suite. So yeah. there's like incidental PEs. What, what other offerings or solutions do you have? Yeah, a brain bleed, cervical uh, spine fractures, pulmonary embolism and CTPA, free air in the abdomen, rib fractures, uh, stroke, okay. uh, those kind of findings. And what has made you pick those um, particular conditions or... Um, so our first product suite is really focused on acute care. So the way we pick them is by finding things that are relatively common, critical, and we believe there is a big advantage in, I would say, triaging those cases. What's the turnaround time on the studies? So for us, it takes a few minutes. Uh, I would say three to five would be a typical, uh, for some cases like stroke, it's shorter than that. Mm-hmm. Um, the cool thing about the AI, and that's a major difference from earlier technologies, is that you don't need to click anything to run the AI. Yeah. It's the, the big difference in previous AI algorithms, right? You would have the user open up an exam, then click something, then the AI runs. Yeah. And then turn on time counts. We run basically before anybody did anything. And typically, you don't need to wait because it's already ready when you're you know, coming to the case. So um, how... Where is your where where is ADOC currently being used? Like what hospitals? Yeah, so we're ra- we are running right now in um, more than three hundred centers worldwide. Mm-hmm. Uh, majority of them are in the states. Uh, some accounts that have been public, so uh, t- telemedicine clinic, uh, for example, serving uh, mm-hmm. accounts uh, teleradiology here in uh, in the UK. Uh, we have some other accounts, Yale, Cedar Sinai, uh, published studies doing with us. Uh, we'd say a lot of a lot of both private practices as well as big academics uh, all around the world. And what's the process like uh, going for FDA approval when you wanted to get into the U.S. market? Oh, it's it's so much fun you wouldn't believe. It. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, so I think first of all, the FDA uh, has been incredibly open and transparent, which it didn't surprise me, but I didn't understand how much of a human process it is. So the first step in getting FDA approval is about alignment. It's about communication and learning and trusting each other. And getting our first FDA clearance uh, took Mm -hmm. us two years. And since then, every three months, uh, on average, I would say every three months, we have another clearance. So that's the difference. You have two years or more for alignment, and that it just getting and then it's scaling up and where is it easier to get approval is it easier in the us or in europe huh nowadays in europe okay but you have a you have a big but there that the uh, (laughs) european regulation is going to change very soon it was postponed due to covid but uh, may next year i believe uh that's uh, the new regulation the mdr is going to take into effect and then europe is going to be harder than the us okay and where are you actually based? Because uh, we thought you were based in Tel Aviv, but obviously you're in New York at the moment. Where do you? Where are ADOC based? ADOC is is primarily in Tel Aviv. Tel Aviv. We have about a bit more than a hundred people at this point. Vast majority of them are in the in Tel Aviv. 
And is it difficult getting FDA approval or CE marks to use your algorithms in geographical areas where they're not developed? Um, Yes, but this is why you have to, A, validate it in the target market. So all of our validation has been done on US sites. Mm -hmm. Uh, And two, uh, you really have to, to have a very open communication channel with the regulatory bodies because if you don't, um, you have to align expectations up front. That, that's the other part. Yeah. So as, as ADOT grows, what other solutions are you looking to develop? Yeah, so we were big on acute. We we're going to keep doing acute a lot. Uh, but we we're also starting to work on our uh, oncology product suite as well. Uh, that's going to be exciting. Uh, more focusing on cancer with different types, helping with quality and measurements. Um, and we should have, I would say, exciting new developments uh, later this year. And you mentioned that you have a few radiologists working with you. Um, what involvement do radiologists have with ADOP? Yeah, it's actually the radiologists are really an integral part of the team. We learned, again, it's part of the, what I learned from the military service. You really want to have your users involved in developing the product. So we have them embedded in all the processes. Uh, education of the team. We do a lot of clinical education to the R&D team. Mm-hmm. Obviously, a lot of product work and workflow testing and changing you know, different things and clinical studies right, about outcomes and how yeah. you measure impact. And what's been the response from clinicians using your applications so far? So uh, I'm very, very happy that the response has been uh, highly positive. Uh, And you can find it, by the way, in social media. People talk about their use of the product all the time. I I would say there are two things that our users find important. Uh, One of them is the workflow. Um, It's it's very hard for them to understand when, when the AI is good or not, but it's very easy to understand the workflow is good or not. So the workflow is actually a key piece. And the other thing which I found critical is about the collaborative development of the solution. Uh, It's not about building an algorithm. It's about finding the clinical workflow around it and what do you change and how do they react to it. And I think that's the key in developing true AI solutions. And I think that's what our users find they like about working with us, that it's a very... It's a very open and we change a lot of stuff all the time. It's very open yeah. um, and mutual relationship. Very collaborative. Exactly. And, and it's key. And I suppose because it's running in the background, it's not like a complicated interface. You have to get your mind around. It's running in the background. And if it picks up something, then it brings it to your attention and, and you report it. So it seems like quite an easy form of AI to interact with. Exactly. And I have to tell you one story from the early days. Uh, we met with you know, a thought leader in the States and we showed him kind of an interface we talked about. And he said, look, we, we have so little real estate on our screens. We don't have time for anything, you know, yeah. minimum number of buttons. So we told him, okay, so no more than one button click. He said, no, 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 <laughs> you didn't get me. No button click. So that's the challenge. No button click. And so, I mean, there's undoubtedly a lot of hype surrounding AI. Um, yes. And you mentioned that you have radiologists involved in clinical research, but do you think there's enough good evidence out there that demonstrates the value of AI in patient care? Yeah, I, I love that question because I think that's... So I'll go a bit meta at this point uh, and <laughs> talk about how, <laughs> how the market evolved, right? So 
if you would ask Rads two years ago, probably it would be very rare for somebody to use AI. I think 2019 mm-hmm. has been a massive year of you know early adopters. Mm-hmm. You know, us we grew from whatever 20 to more than 300 at this point, uh, almost 400 even, and you know some other companies as well. So it was a big, big growth spurt of the AI, but it's still a fledgling market. And the big question is, how do you measure the value? And I think as an industry, us, the AI industry, should facilitate that research. And for our SNA, for example, uh, not us, our partners submitted already 10 abstracts focused on outcomes, pure outcomes. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the key. That's where the AI industry should head. I think that's something that's true of research in radiology in general. There's There's a lot of funding that goes into preparing technology, but then there's maybe not as much that goes into the translation of that technology into patient outcomes or, you know, the value of that on patient care. So the fact yeah. that you're focusing on that, it's definitely uh, very, very valuable. Yeah. And I'm going to sh- share one challenge on this as well. People ask a lot about the AI space, who is going to pay for this, right? Is it going to be the mm. player, the provider? And we chose for now the unequivocal answer that the provider should pay for this. Right. By provider, do you mean the hospitals? The hospitals or the private yeah. group, yeah. Mm, okay. And if you want to get them to pay, you need to show ROI. No way, no way around it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So as we speak, we're currently in the throes of the coronavirus pandemic, which is probably the single largest public health issue that the world has faced, certainly in my living memory. Yes. Have ADOC been contributing to the global response? Yes. So I'll start by, uh, by the big caveat here. We want to be very humble, especially because of all the hype. You don't want to, you know, reach too fast to market, release something that's not ready or claim that you can do something that you can't do. And that was a big part of how we wanted to react. Uh, We did develop something and I'll share it in a second, but it was very guided towards saying, how can we help, especially as you're not using currently CT scans for screening of COVID. That's not the modality for use. What we did do, however, we looked at the research and we found a use case where AI can be incredibly helpful, and that's incidental COVID detection. Mm. So those asymptomatic patients, right, you're going for an abdomen CT, potentially you have, you know, stomach ache or something, going abdomen CT, you're seeing the base of the lung, and you may have COVID there, right? Mm -hmm. And knowing that right away and triaging that patient and then disinfecting the scanner and treating the patient and letting them know... That, that would be important. Yeah. And some research shows that uh, there was just a, another research for Brigham that showed that almost half of the COVID patients they had uh, were detected as incidental patients, which is staggering in my mind. Yeah, I, I did think that when I saw a lot of the activity in the AI community during the pandemic, um, that I wasn't sure where the role for AI was necessarily, because exactly. unlike a lot of other diagnoses, the the imaging is quite clear and it, it's it's obviously, it's usually just a sort of interstitial pneumonia picture. And it's, exactly. I was wondering whether AI can be more specific in saying that is COVID versus an interstitial pneumonia caused by something else. Is that is that an area that AI can help in? Theoretically, yes. But just mm-hmm. getting the data uh, and, you know, correlating PCR results with, with yeah. COVID exams. Yeah. This is not where I think I should go. I think I should go where it's best, which is running on things really, really fast. Yes. Uh, so that, you know, nobody can look at all exams right away from the scanner. We can. Mm-hmm. That's, I think, where I should contribute. 
Yeah. So we recently did an interview with Dr. Martin Willemink, who's a Stanford AI researcher who's really yeah. focusing on the preparation of good quality medical imaging data for the development yeah. of algorithms. And he spoke a lot about the difficulties that AI companies face in this area um, mm -hmm. in terms of preparing data. So what has been your experience with data? Yeah, data is really, gathering data is a really big challenge and it's really key for development of algorithms. So right now, in a relatively short period of time, we're able to reach the most number of FDA clearances in our space. Mm -hmm. And it is solely due to the fact that we have access to large amounts of data. And the key in data is not just about getting you know raw exams, which is now relatively simpler. It's about the annotation, uh, which is both finding the challenging cases that would optimize the AI the most, as well as actually looking at the images and annotating what's, you know, where is the finding, where is not. Um, I can't share exactly how we solve this issue because that's one of the, I would say, biggest secret process for the company. <laughs> and I would say that's a massive undertaking. And I would say that maybe 30% of my company is focused on the on solving that core issue, wow. which is then helps us really scale up the algorithm development really quickly. Most of the data for your algorithms, is it from Israeli hospitals or is there a worldwide database that you use? No, it's mostly through agreements with, you know, customers and partners around the world. Around the world, okay. So it's quite, a, that's, a, that's a large chunk of your company's resources that are committed to preparing the data. Well, Yes, but that's key, right? Because data is validation, data is training, mm. data is data is how do you decide which products to develop there. Mm. So in our world, data is everything. And I suppose maybe that's one of the ways you've been able to get a competitive advantage by recognizing the importance of data and devoting adequate resources to it, whereas exactly. other people make it focus on the algorithms themselves. Exactly. And look, we've been around for about, you know, three and a half years now. I think what we learned at that time is that it's very important to focus on developing the platform, making it mm -hmm. scalable, making it easy to use so that as we grow, we can, you know, scale up everything accordingly. Yeah. So on the ADOC website, there are a number of very interesting blog posts written by yourself and your team. Uh, they provide a good snapshot of hot topics in AI, but then also wider topics to do with innovation in general. And one that caught my eye in particular was a blog post on fostering a learning mentality for startup success. What was it that compelled you to write that? Yeah, um, we're very big on culture uh, in ADOC. Uh, I'll start with my, I would say, my personal belief. One of the things that really excited me about startups is creating your own, let's call it ecosystem, where you have a lot of you know, like-minded people and you all share the same goal and with the same set of values. And therefore, I think that a big part of what makes a startup unique is the, is the culture of the company. Uh, so we like to talk about it. We like to share ideas. And like, if you would ask me what, what are the core things that symbolize ADOC, uh, I would say that learning mentality is, is a big, big portion of that. We are, it's also a bit because of our Israeli mentality. We kind of question everything all the time uh, and each other and what we do and what are our key assumptions. And I believe that's really key 
in developing a company in a very in a rapidly evolving space like AI because you always you know twist and turn and you want to get the feedback you want to listen to customers you want to adapt and it's from the you know from the small things everybody getting feedback on how they're doing their work to the bigger how the company gets feedback around the product development mm. uh, every kind of facet of the organization should be iterating all the time so uh, it's yeah. something we're all very passionate about in the company yeah I suppose it's a yeah rapidly evolving space so if you're not constantly learning then you're standing still getting left behind very quickly yes and I would say even more than that there are such massive challenges in the AI space in terms of how do you adjust the workflow where AI gets in the door and it constantly changes because the more trust they get in the system the more they learn yeah. to use it the more they change things and and it's just uh, a it's fascinating but you really have to move fast like uh, the, yeah. the amount of iterations we do it is just crazy um and there's another interesting blog post or one that i found interesting was um and how we can look to the gaming industry and translate techniques from there to help streamline radiology workflows which I thought it was um, a great example of the lateral thinking within the AR community. So are you employing yes. any of those ideas with ADOT? Yes, yes. We're actually, so we're, I, I learned this from uh, Dr. Paul Chang uh, from Chicago. Uh, we were talking about this idea and he told me when they developed their PAX uh, Stentor at the time, uh, he gave this great example that he took all of these ideas from gaming because Gamers found slick, smooth, seamless user interfaces. They solved the quote unquote workflow. Uh, and if we could get ideas from that and embed it within the way our solutions work, it could be amazing. And so we put a lot of resources also on the user interface, the, the UX, and we have a lot of people on there and they do get inspiration from across many disciplines, but the gaming is definitely one of them. Are you a gamer, Elad? Well, not anymore, I would say. Uh, I was, though. Don't tell anybody. <laughs> so what would you say have been your biggest achievements with ADOC so far? Wow. Um, Too many to name. No, I, would, I wouldn't. Uh, it's, uh, the wow was more about the fact that it's weird to take a look back because it's, so, it's like a roller coaster, everything changing all the time. <laughs> You're getting emotional uh, when I say that. Exactly. I'm, I'm uh, weeping here. But, uh, <laughs> but the one thing I would say is that for me, the, the biggest motivational item is when I get a text from a physician telling me that we impacted a patient. Um, and we get, frankly, almost one a day at this point. And uh, when things get tough, and they do get tough all the time, mm. just I actually, I sometimes take a pause and read through some of those and it just gives you so much energy because you see that you're making an impact on, on people. And I think if you ask me what's the biggest achievement, it's that this thing actually works and provides value, which is mm. um, enough in of itself. Great. Um, and personally, we understand that in 2018, you were named in the Forbes 30 on the 30 list in the European Science and Healthcare category, which is a great achievement. So congratulations. Thank you. Um, what was it like to be named in that list? Um, first, surprising, I must say, and very humbling. Uh, there were a really good group of people there that you meet. Um, they kind of throw a few events and you meet really incredible people. 
and it was actually relatively early in the journey. So it was, it was a very humbling experience in the sense that they kind of more look at the potential, I guess, mm. and say that they, they believe, you know, it's not me on a personal level, it's ADOC would do great things. Mm. And um, that was uh, a good feeling to have that, uh, you know, again, it's about making a difference. Nice. Does winning an award like that bring tangible benefits to your organization? Uh, well, yes, you know, the, it does, it does provide external credibility. Look, in essence, just because of the skepticism in the AI space, people really search for the right partner. Right. It's not about what your AI product is. It's about how are you as an AI partner and, you know, anything that can help both build credibility as well as show some external evidence. Uh, really helps facilitate that partnership collaboration. Um, so I do think it gives tangible benefits. So you say the skepticism in the AI space, where is that skepticism from? Um, from other AI companies or from the medical community? Look, it's not a new thing that, you know, people have a lot of promises and it takes, <laughs> and not all of them are being delivered. Yeah. And especially in the AI space, it's not new, right? We've had the AI promise for years now. And if you think about the fear, there was a fear a couple of years ago from being replaced. Mm. Think about what level of expectations it creates for you, right? Yeah. It's something can replace you, how good it could be. It should be massively good. Mm. And I think now we're more the, at the point where people are starting to lower expectations, still see huge benefits and value, but things are more mm. realistic and more augment and integrate into their workflow and do small things, but do them very well. Yeah. So ADOC is based in Tel Aviv, yeah. which has developed a bit of a reputation as a tech hub. Do you find that there is a thriving startup culture there? Oh, 100%. Um, the good thing about being in that, in that tech hub is that it's, it's so culturally fitting to even to fail, to try startups, to do something new. Like it's, it's almost expected of you. <laughs> Uh, so it's really is an encouraging environment and you get a lot of support. So when I started this, uh, I literally sent out a mass email to this group uh, to tell, hey, I'm starting something in the healthcare space. Uh, any other healthcare entrepreneurs I would love to meet. And like CEOs of mature companies were willing to meet with me and spend an hour of their time. Wow. Uh, mm. to just walk me through the challenges of starting a company and what they had. Like you, you feel as part of an ecosystem, which I think is awesome. Yeah. Uh, you're not alone in this. Uh, there are a lot of people having the same difficulties. Yeah. And the obvious place that people associate with tech startups is Silicon Valley in California. So is there any competitive advantage to being based there rather than in Israel? Well, it depends. A lot of it depends on your market, right? For example, I moved here to NYC because the U.S. is definitely a much bigger healthcare market. Mm -hmm. uh, I think Israel is very good with product development and very good with R&D and getting, you know, strong talent for that, where we, you know, we're not as good as necessarily commercial development and commercial traction, in which case I think, A, having a U.S. base of operations is better, but also in general, U.S. talent is better on that front. Right. Mm. So is the... Um ultimate plan to move the bulk of ADOC's operations to America? The, the sales ones, yes. Sales, yes. To America and, and Europe, of course. Okay. Is there a lot of funding available for startups in Israel or did you have to look abroad? Uh, there is quite a lot of funding available to startups in Israel, actually. Uh, we have a very active and good VC community. 
And um, what is the state of AI adoption in Israeli hospitals at the moment? <laughs> so if you would have asked me a few months ago, uh, I would have told you we're in a single Israeli hospital, Sheba Hospital, mm -hmm. uh, which was recently uh, nominated as number the ninth, like in hospital ranking, the ninth in the world, which is amazing. Mm -hmm. They are a great beta partner of ours. Uh, but we almost immediately moved to working with U.S. hospitals, uh, U.S. and European. Uh, nowadays, however, we really made an effort uh, to push this to more uh, Israeli hospitals. So at this point, we're at uh, five hospitals. Five um, Israeli hospitals. Five Israeli okay. hospitals, yes. Okay, so I think um, you've given us a lot of information there. I think that's us done for today. So thank you very much for taking the time to speak to us. It's been great to of get course. some first-hand information from one of the major players in the field. And we wish you the best of luck going forward. Thank you. Thanks again for having me. Thanks for joining us. We'll have another episode ready for you at the start of next month, so stay tuned for that. And in the meantime, you can check out our previous episodes on various platforms, including Apple and Spotify. And for more updates, follow us on social media at rad.cast on Instagram and radcastpodcast on Twitter. Bye. Bye.